Life has a way of bringing, introducing, if you will, unpredictable changes into our life. How many have figured that out? Life brings these, these changes in, into us, and these changes cause major stress. Change, especially when you're not ready for it. Change in itself causes stress, but unpredictable or sudden change can really do that in our lives. If it's a financial crisis, a relationship crisis, maybe you get betrayed you know, at work or something happens or a loss of a loved one that was unexpected, loss of a job, whatever it is, these things cause stress in our life. You and I have experienced these things and we're going to continue to experience them. You can't predict them, but here's the good news. You can prepare for them. That's that you can prepare, and that's, that's, that's the whole point of this series that we're in, knowing God, is that we would get to know who he is, who he's promised to be, what he's, what he's told us about himself, what he's promised for this life and the life to come, and we get so anchored into that and know him that when these changes come, they don't freak us out so bad. We don't, we don't, we don't crumble under, under change or unpredictable things in our life. As Grant said, we've talked about the fact that God is all-powerful, all-knowing. He's ever-present. And knowing these things about God helps us to prepare for these unpredictable things. Because if you don't do that, here's what I've noticed. If we don't know who God is, if we don't know what Scripture says, we tend to let our feelings and our circumstances interpret Scripture for us. Rather than looking at what it says in the Scripture and letting that interpret life for us. We usually get it backwards there because our feelings say one thing or our, our experience or our circumstances. And sometimes there's a tug of war going on there. Today we're going we're gonna to talk about the fact that God doesn't change. Circumstances change, feelings change, people change. God doesn't change. It's a beautiful thing that he doesn't change. Uh, theologians call this his immutability, if you like big words. But it, it's, it means God doesn't change. And it's something that we can take to the bank when we, we'll see in, in Scripture here. We have uh, titled today's message, Finding Stability in an Unstable World. There's a lot of phonies out there. There's a lot of phonies when it comes to, you know, life and things that we see. There's, there's counterfeits everywhere. There's phony politicians. There's steroids in baseball. So there's asterisks, asterisks by records and, and uh, actors and different people. Uh, how many are old enough to, to remember when Millie Vanilli was found out to be a, a phony? Millie Vanilli, man, they were these pretty cool guys I mean they had the long dreads and everything and they, I don't even remember what they sing to be honest with you but it was they exposed that they had never actually they didn't even sing on their on their CDs and might have been cassettes back then but they didn't even sing on their on their on their album and they didn't they didn't sing live they lip-synced all the time and they were exposed as as phonies well the other day I was on a walk I walk a lot and the park near my house I uh I saw these massive amounts of Canadian geese. Do those things bug you like they do me? Especially when they're crossing the street and they think they own the world and people slamming on the brakes and people, Janelle, get mad at me like, well, don't hit the geese. Well, you know, they're just the geese, geez. But anyway, a uh, whole other story there. But um, I took a couple pictures of, don't put the pictures up just yet. I want to get this picture in your mind. So I'm walking by and I see all these geese. And they're kind of afraid of me, 
But they, you know how people will put those like uh, wooden cutouts of like wolves or, or dogs or whatever to try to scare them away. Go ahead and put that first picture up for me. So this is, see the geese back there? They're, that's what that's supposed to scare them, right? Because they'll, they'll fly by and they think that's a predator and so they they're, you know, won't eat the grass there. They're trying to keep the geese off the grass. So next picture. So do they look pretty frightened to you? They're, they're just eating away. They were way more keeping their eyes on me. It was funny in this, this uh, flock of geese, there was one white one. It was kind of interesting. It was like albino goose, but inter- it's a total side story there. But um, let me show you one more here. So look how close they are. So they spotted a phony right away. They were like, yeah, oh, really scary here. And so they just did their life. And then one more picture. Oh, the selfie. How did that get in there? I'm sorry. I I don't know how. I wanted you to see that I really did that. But anyway, as I was walking and, and seeing this happen, here's the thought I had. How many phonies do I cave into? The phony fears, discouragement, deceptions, and things that are... That upside, standing next to God, they're these cutout wolves. It's not even real. It's, it's, and I, we have these fears in life and fears about the future. And, and we let everything cause this craziness in our life. And they're really phonies. When you know who God is, when you know that he's all-powerful, he's ever-present, he knows the beginning and the end, and that he doesn't change, it's, we can be like those geese. They were feasting away in peace not worried about the little big bad wolf that, that they, you know, the people who at the parks were wanting to keep the geese away. What's those phonies in your life today? You're going to get the most out of this message this morning if you identify right away what, what is causing fear in your life. What's causing you to worry? What's causing you to stress in your life? Put it upside the size of God, and you'll, you'll, you'll see a big difference. See it in the light of who he is. You know, people who, who study counterfeit money to know when it's a counterfeit or not, they don't study fake money. They study the real deal. They study the government-printed money, and they, they know it back and forth so that when a counterfeit comes by, boom, they spot it right away. We need to be so close to God, not just know about him, but know him that when these counterfeits try to take away our joy, try to take away our faith, try to take away our peace, we can spot them right away. Here's what it says in in Malachi chapter 3 verse 6. If you're Italian, that's pronounced Malachi. (laughs) Malachi 3, 6. I've said that forever and it never gets old. (laughs) Malachi. Janelle likes that because she's Italian. She actually told me, don't say that joke anymore. It's worn out. But some of you, it was new, and you actually laughed, so I'll keep doing it. (laughs) He says, I'm the Lord, and I do not change. I'm the Lord, and I do not change. And the context of this particular verse is that God doesn't change in his mercy. He doesn't change in his character. And he was wanting Israel to know that he he doesn't change in his person. God is perfect. Everything around us changes. Everything, we, we were created to change. But he doesn't change. Why doesn't God change? Because he's perfect. You can't perfect perfection. 
He's all-knowing, all-powerful. He's omni-this, omni-that. He's everything. He is, he is the beginning and the end. And you can't perfect that. That's why he doesn't change. But everything else does. Psalm 102. In the beginning you laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens of the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like clothing. You will change them. And they will be discarded. But you remain the same as we were singing. And your years will never end. About God's promises, the book of James says this. It says, whatever is good and perfect is is a gift coming down to us from God our Father who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He's constant, he's consistent, he's stable. And then about Jesus, look at the book of Hebrews, the writer says. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's so good. That brings stability in our lives. So how do we find stability in an unstable world? Well, it's by knowing God. It's by knowing who he is, what he's promised, and that he doesn't change. Let's talk about that. I'll tell you this, if you're going to find stability in an unstable world, write this down. I need to build my life on God's word because God's word never changes. Build your life on his word because his word never changes. About his word, God says this, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. The word of our God endures forever. Last Sunday after service, I was uh, driving home and I was thinking about Janelle, like, which consumes a lot of my time. And I'm in love and I don't care who knows it. And, uh, you know, and I was, I was praying for her because she, she works hard. You know, she behind the scenes, you guys, she works hard. And so I, I thank God for her and I, I thought, you know what, I'm going to go buy her some flowers. Our anniversary is next Friday. Her birthday's in August. Let's just do a, let's don't wait till anniversary. Let's don't do birthday. I'm putting some of you husbands to shame right now. And your wives are going like this. Yeah, yeah. I'm really not that good. But um, I did want to bless her with some flowers. And so I went to King Supers and I picked out a nice dozen roses. And they were really beautiful. And I was walking to go check out. And I saw some folks that I knew. And they're like, oh, hey, nice flowers. And I was like, I'm a good husband. And I, I told Janelle about that. She was like, you didn't say for my great wife, but you said you're a good husband. So <laughs> for my great, awesome wife. And uh, so I bought those and I brought, her, brought those home to her and, and she was blessed. She, she likes to get flowers and she put them in her office. And, you know, here's the fact about flowers. They, now a week later, they're starting to fall and, and change colors and get brittle. And they're not as nice as they were the day that I bought them. You know what? God's word is always fresh. God's word never wilts. It never turns like flowers or grass does. It's always fresh. You can read the Bible over and over and get something new, get something fresh, something life-giving. Do you read God's word consistently? Seriously, this is a challenge for all of us. In our lives, when, when we have struggles, when we have issues it's usually because we're not spending time in the word when we do that he gave that to us to give us life it says in uh, the psalm 119 long ago i learned from your statutes 
that you establish them to last forever. God's statutes are his principles, his laws, his commands. He did that for our own good, and I'll talk about that more here in just a second. But his word, his principles, his commands, they don't change. Remember back in the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve, Eve to start with, was tempted... She was tempted to eat of the tree that God said, don't eat from this. And she was tempted by by Satan when he said, did God really say that you shouldn't do this? So that was the, the temptation. And I think over the years, that temptation, did God really say, he definitely still tempts that way. But it's, it's angled, it's twisted just a little bit different. Today, I think the, t- the temptation is not so much did God say it or not, but... People like to say this, well, that, that's just your interpretation of it. Or people like to say, well, God's words are kind of a little archaic, don't you think? It's, uh, it's, it was, it's culturally irrelevant. It's, it's all these things that we try to put God's word in this thing to see, you know, it doesn't really apply today. It does take some skill and understanding to know when is the Bible speaking culturally, when is the Bible poetry, when is the Bible history, and when is it something that's black and white and and that's a a principle that stands the test of time. That's called hermeneutics, and it's a a skill and a science to be able to interpret Scripture better. But the, the bottom line is this. God's commands, God's word, what he says, it's not to throw a bummer in our life. Usually when you talk about the Ten Commandments, people don't think of freedom. They think of bondage. They think, well, you know, that's, that's yeah, I, I fail. And God's word was given to us to show us how he wanted us to live. And it's, it's, it's for our good. He's a good father. So there's two ways you can build a house. You can build it on a solid foundation or a shaky foundation. Anybody that's ever built a house or had a house built, you know that the number one thing that you got to get right is that house, that foundation has to be poured right to build on. Otherwise, you're going to have a crooked house. You're going to have a shaky foundation. Jesus, in, in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. And he gave this most amazing sermon ever preached. And at the end of the sermon, he gave this parable. He said there's two guys that built a house, and one built it on, on the sand, and one built it on the rock. And he said the winds came and the storms came on both of them. The guy that built his house on the rock had to go through the storms as well. But it says the man who, who built his house on the sand, his, his house crumbled. But the man who built his house on the rock, he said, is, is like the man who... Puts, hears my words and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. We put that verse up. The wise man who built his house on the rock. Whoever hears his words, all that he had just taught, puts them into practice. Excuse me, not just hearing it, but puts it into practice is like someone who builds their house on that solid foundation. I used to go to Lake McConaughey every Memorial Day in July 4th. And at Lake McConaughey, every day at about 5 o'clock, the storms come. And it gets crazy. And we used to try to, you know, get our tents down deep, big hole, and the spikes down there. It didn't matter. Tents would just be blowing down the beach and people would be chasing. Unless you were in your tent, it was probably blowing away. I thought, that's a picture of so many people's lives. These unpredictable changes that come in our life. And when you build your house on a solid foundation, you build your life on God's word, you've built it on the right foundation. Jesus said this, 
Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. What a promise. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16, he said, All scripture is God-breathed, inspired by God is what that means, and is useful for teaching, for rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Leave that up for just a second. Look at that. It's God spoke... As people didn't fall into a trance when the Bible was written, and oh, and they didn't, you know, did Paul realize he was writing scripture as he wrote it? No. But as you take the book from Genesis to Revelation and you see the continuity in scripture and you see the context, you begin to see what God wanted to say to people and what, how he wanted people to live. So he inspired the writers of the Bible to write these words so that we would know how to live, so that we could be trained in righteousness we could have our lives corrected when we get off base when we're you know not doing the things that he's asked us to do everything we need for life everything we need for direction everything vital and crucial for for our life everything that gives us a proper view of life a worldview is found in scripture it's the lenses that we can see life through so many people say man I'm struggling I'm hurting I God seems a million miles away And often the reason God seems so far away is because we're probably not reading what he has to say and letting that be a part of of our hearts. Don't just snack on God's word. Man, you got to feed on it. Today we're going to eat a lot of snacks watching football. And and this is the one day you can overdo snacks, right? But you don't just live on snacks. you got to actually eat. We need to do that with God's word as well. So you find peace, joy, purpose in his word. What we need more than anything, more than our circumstances to change, is we need truth. And so God's word is truth and it doesn't change. Second thing is this. If we're going to live, you know, stable in an unstable world, then I need to live for God's purposes because his purposes never change. I need to live for his purposes. I was thinking about this. We, and I am myself in this I promise we need to be rescued from the life that we thought was going to make us happy do you know what I'm saying I mean we we thought chasing this dream doing this doing that was going to somehow find the fulfillment and and we need what I what I would call a, a Capernaum shift what the heck is that well back in 1543 there was a guy named Copernicus and Copernicus discovered that the earth actually wasn't flat. And that if you sailed across the earth, you weren't going to go over the, the way people thought back then. And he, he realized as well that the earth went around the sun rather than everything rotating around the earth. Actually, you could have just read the Bible and found out both that the world wasn't flat and that the, the earth wasn't the center of the universe. But I guess they didn't, they didn't do that back then. But when he made this discovery... we. People realized that we weren't the center, the earth wasn't the center of the universe. And that Copernicus shift in our lives is this, that when we shift from realizing that life doesn't revolve around me, the purpose of my life isn't just about me, it's first and foremost about God and it's about others. And when that shift happens in our thinking, we, we see life altogether different. You know, we do this from a young age. We'll ask kids. We'll say, what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to be when you grow up? 
I'm going to be an astronaut. Or, you know, when you're really little, everybody's going to be a football player. They're going to be this or that. And then, you, you, then as, as we grow up, we think, what do I want to do with my life? And to be honest, those questions are wrong. Because it should be, what does God want to do with my life? He created me. He's the creator. We're the creation. What does he want to do with my life? It's the wrong starting point when we think it's all about us. And listen, I'm, I'm guilty. I'm not talking down to anybody in this room this morning. I'm saying to myself, Scott, this isn't about you. I got, had to re, get the, the holy rebuke on the way over this morning. God, didn't you know it's Sunday today? Why did it snow? <laughs> well, Scott, I didn't know I had to check in with you about when it can snow or when it doesn't snow. You know what I mean? I mean, it's so easy to make it all about us in life. Living for myself, living for my purposes is really unstable. How many people uh, do we know or hear about that find fame and fortune, you know, they get rich and they're successful, and they're empty people at the end of the day. They're empty. Well, it's because we're not living for his purposes. When you and I begin to live for his purposes, that's a game changer. That's a life changer. It says in Proverbs 16.4, it says, The Lord has made everything for his own purposes. That means, as Grant was talking about during worship, Everything we have is a gift from God on loan from him. It says in Colossians 1.16 about Jesus, everything was created through him and for him. That includes you, includes me, that includes your checkbook, that includes your house, that includes your car. Everything was created by him and for him. So how do I live for God's purposes? What does that mean? What's unchanging about his purpose? Well, you could write this down. His unchanging purpose for me and you is that I live for his glory. That's one thing that's unchangeable about your life is that God created you to live for his glory. Now, I know I don't know everybody in this room. And I don't know where you're at, you know, spiritually. I don't know what you're supposed to do specifically with your life. But one thing I do know about all of us in this room is that you were created for his glory. You were created for his purpose. I can say that wholeheartedly because I see it in scripture. Look what it says in, in Isaiah. God says this. He says, everyone who is called by my name and whom I have created for my glory, whom I have formed, even whom I have made. So God created us for his glory. If we're going to live for his glory, let me stop for a second. What, what is God's glory? What does that mean? God's glory is simply this. It's his honor. It's his worth. It's him showing forth who he is on display. After the Super Bowl today, somebody's going to hold that Lombardi trophy. And they're going to get glory, if you will, from, you know, this one's for John. I can't wait for that one again. But there's somebody's going to hold the trophy up. And they're gonna, they're gonna, somebody's going to get an MVP or they're going to whatever. And they're going to get a little bit of, quote, glory. From, from winning the Super Bowl. So you and I glorify God when we point people to his worth. When we point people to his uh, majesticness. When we point them to his, his beauty and who he is and his mercy. God, uh, in, in, why, why did he create us for his glory? I've heard people say, isn't that kind of arrogant? Why did God need to create people for his glory? Well, no, it's not arrogant. It's actually the most loving thing a loving God could do. He is perfect. He is the best. 
He is the highest good. He's the highest love. He's the highest joy. He's the highest every perf- perfection of, of who he is. And in his love, he wanted to share that. He wanted to share that with you and I. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, in commanding us to glorify him, God is inviting us to enjoy him. So you bring glory to God when you enjoy him. You enjoy his, who he is. John Piper said, God is most glorified when I am most satisfied in him. He's most glorified when I'm most satisfied in him. To be satisfied in God is to realize, God, you're my purpose. God, you are perfect in your love. God, you are perfect in who you have promised to be. And you find satisfaction in him first and foremost. And then I bring glory to God when I love him. By enjoying him, by obeying him, worshiping him, sharing him. Being yourself, being who he created you to be. And then ultimately we bring God glory when we love people. When we love, Jesus said that the greatest commandment was love God, heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. How do we bring God glory when we obey him? Jesus said, if you love me, you'll do what I ask. It's pretty simple. When we do what God says to do, not out of a begrudging heart or God, it's the taskmaster God. But it's, God, you actually love me. You actually know what's best for my life. That's why I'm going to obey you. Because you know what's best. And then loving people. The last thing is this. If we're going to find stability in an unstable world, then I need to find my identity and self-worth in God's love. As we sang about, his love for me never changes. His love for you never changes. In 1 John 4, 8, a description about God is this. God is love. Now, it's not that love is God, but God is love. Sometimes people confuse that and they think love is God. No, God himself is love. His very nature is love. God says in Jeremiah 31, 3, he says, I've loved you with an everlasting love. God loves you with an everlasting love. He loves you with an everlasting love. We were created to be loved by God. Do you know today that you're an object of God's love? It's so hard for people to understand that. But God's love is consistent. God's love is continual. How many have figured out that human love is a little fickle? You know, human love is, you know, it's somebody makes the statement, you know, in marriage, I'm just not in love with you anymore, or you're not the person I married. And so people, we, that love changes based upon feelings. It changes based upon circumstances. People, they love their kids, but then their kids grow up and go through some difficulty and say, my sweet little child grew up to be this rebellious teenager. So the love is somehow conditional again. God's love is not like that. Not with God. God always acts consistent to who he is. He always acts like himself. When we were singing that song today, I was wondering how many people in this room think, yeah, God loves everybody, not sure he loves me. I mean, I I bet several people were thinking, yeah, look at my circumstances. I feel guilty about my life. God knows all the stuff I've done or said or carrying guilt, you're carrying worry. Ah, God loves everybody. I'm not so sure about me. Listen, don't buy into that. That's a phony. 
That's the phony over there trying to deceive you into believing something that's not true. God's love is not based upon our circumstances or our feeling. God's love is is found in the cross. God's love is found when we realize that God loved us so much. He's so perfect in his love, but he's also holy and just. And God had to find a way in his wisdom to, to, to forgive us of our wrongdoing, our selfishness, turning our backs on him. And, and yet, and he didn't punish us. He, his son got punished in our place. Now the message of the cross, scripture says, 1 Corinthians 1.18 says that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. A guy on a cross dying for my sin, what? Was God in a bad mood that day? I mean, people, they struggle with that. But it says to those of us who are being saved, it's the power of God. And you're believing that Jesus died on the cross for you to forgive you of your sins, to atone for your sins, and then to be raised from the dead to show that he had triumphed over that. If you believe that today, that's a gift from God. God opened your eyes. He opened your heart to believe that today. If you don't believe that today, my question for you would be why? Why not believe the greatest news that's ever, ever been told? That God loves you and he loved you so much that he gave his son for you. So God's love is personal, passionate, and powerful. Let me take a minute and talk about that. His love is personal, it's passionate, and it's powerful. A passage of scripture I would highly recommend for everyone to memorize is Romans 8, 31 through 39. God's love is personal. Look what it says here. If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Now, if you're going to personalize scripture, sometimes it's good to actually read in there and say, if God is for me, who can ever be against me? Now, I don't always recommend reading scripture just about you because we're a little self-centered to start anyway because it's actually about. But, but in understanding the love of God, it is important that you see it's personal for you. It's not just a general thing. You know, the dad that had 15 kids did, you know, and, and said, oh, yeah, I'm part of his family. So, yeah, he, he included me. No, God intimately loves you and it's personal. It says, since he did not spare even his own son but gave him up for us all. Won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us. Here's the passionate part of his love. We call Easter week the passion of the Christ. It's that passionate love that God has for us. It says, for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Check this out. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity? Please get that today. If your circumstances are difficult, you have trouble and calamity, does it mean he doesn't love you? Get this in your heart today. Or we're persecuted or we're hungry or we're destitute or in danger or threatened with death. As the scriptures say, for your sake we're killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. Check this out. No, it doesn't mean because you're going through difficulty. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. 
And I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons. These are the phonies. These are those phony will cut out wolves. I want you to picture those in your mind. Neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Is that good news? We should all be standing up waving hankies and doing cartwheels in here. And get, I mean, I, not for me, but for what the Word says. I mean, sometimes we read the Word and we're just, wow, that's pretty cool. Anyway, what time's the game on? Listen, that's truth to get deep, deep, deep inside your heart today. Don't let anything steal that. God loves you deeply. We're going to take communion this morning as we end our, our service with communion. God's love for us doesn't change. You don't have to wonder whether God loves you. And we're going to respond by taking communion. Jesus said that as much as we can, to, when we gather together, that we take the bread, we take the cup, and we do it in remembrance of what he did for us. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians 1, 20 through 22. For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. So every promise that God has ever made was fulfilled in Jesus. You, that's so good. And through Christ, our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for his glory. So when you pray a prayer and you say amen, all you're saying is let it be so. Yes, God, I agree. So when we say our amen, it ascends to God for his glory. It is God who enables us, along with you, to stand firm for Christ. He has commissioned us and he has identified us as his own by placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the first installment that guarantees everything he has promised. Have you said amen to Jesus? Have you said amen to God's promises that God he loves you and has given, created you with purpose. And he's created and he gave Jesus to, to show his mercy and to, and to give us forgiveness, to give us eternal life. Not just a good little life here on earth, but the promise of an eternity spent with him. That all that look to the Son, all that look to Jesus will have real life. Have you said amen to him? If you haven't today, you can do that. Before we take the bread and we take the cup, which we do that, it's a, it's a reminder that Jesus' body was broken and his blood was shed and how serious God takes, you know, sin. It took that to redeem us. But how loving and perfect he is in his mercy. And today you don't have to, you know, going to church doesn't make you a follower of Jesus. It's good for you to go to church, but it doesn't make you a follower of Jesus. Um, putting your faith and hope and trust in him as Savior is what makes you a Christian. And then you follow him and let him change you. Little by little, day by day, he will conform you and change you and make you more like him. That's God's goal for all of us is that we think and act like Jesus. 
It'd be great if we could all take a pill and boom, out pops Jesus or throw us in the microwave, but it doesn't work like that. It's a, it's a daily process of being conformed and allowing God's spirit to work in us, allow his word to work in us. But if you've never trusted in Jesus to forgive you of all your sin, past, present, and future, then today's the day to do that. Today, would you just say, Lord, I, I put my, my hope in you. Forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of my self-centeredness. Forgive me for being my own boss. I trust you as Savior. I trust you as my Lord. And I'm going to follow you. Have your will and have your way in me. And as you do that and you take the bread and you take the cup today, you're saying yes and amen to all of God's promises. It says in 1 Samuel 15, 29, He who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind, for he's not a human being that he should change his mind. God gave the ultimate pledge to us in giving us Jesus, and communion reminds us of that. His word keeps us stable. His promises keep us stable. His love keeps us stable. 